You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? And we're back with another show. This special guest is the current senior athletic performance coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. His fifth season. I'm not going to waste any time with more of an intro because I know you have too much knowledge to drop during this session. So welcome to the show, Andrew Paul. Thanks, Pat, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I was actually looking at the former guests you had on the show and I was like, I do not fit in with that group of people. So if you're if, if your rating is dropped for a week, I apologize for that. But, no. but I'm happy to be here. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I'm seeing Pinkle on there. I'm seeing Dr. McGuire on there. I'm seeing, I'm like, I don't fit. That's all right. I'm here yes, to be here. <laughs> Appreciate the humility, but uh, our guest will find out really, really quickly why you are on this show. Uh, just, to, just to start it off, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what drives you, who is Andrew Paul? Sure, man. I'll, uh, I'll just be brief on kind of basic on this, but um I grew up in St. Louis, had a, a really great family. My entire family lives in basically like a five mile radius in St. Louis. Um, just a, just a really, really well grounded as a growing up, just had a lot of, uh, a lot of family support and just about anything I wanted to do, but not only support, but um, they taught me, you know, small things that I'd probably take for granted now, but I didn't miss a day of school when I was in elementary school or middle school. And that was my parenting. <laughs> they wouldn't allow me to. Um, so uh, I, I kind of take that for granted, but just, just had a really good family life growing up. And not only that, but had really good um, social structure with friends who didn't really, we got in a, a right amount of trouble, not too much trouble, but just the right amount of trouble. Um, and, but we were all very ambitious and support ourselves that way. Um, during my time growing up, I got, I got tied in with some great high school coaching and we can talk more about that, but that was kind of a really kind of, sent me in the direction I went to growing up into adulthood was, was the, the mentors I grew up around as a young, as a young athlete, uh, went on to college and played, uh, played a couple sports, played baseball and football at the college level. Um, and then that, that was kind of where I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point in time in college. You're, you're 20, 21 years old, you know what you like, um, you know what you're supposed to do. Um, but I just found out at that age, I was, I was kind of introduced to, you know, Brian Mann was a graduate assistant for the football team and he was one of my strength coaches and Rick Perry was our strength coach as well. And I remember like being kind of blown away that that was actually their job. Is that, is that <laughs> thing? Um, so right then I kind of knew that was a direction I wanted to go. I didn't know how or where, but I knew that that, that was something I wanted to continue doing. It was a strong passion of mine. So, um, I was lucky enough. I'm kind of skipping some steps here, but I was lucky enough, man, to just get an internship at Mizzou um, under yourself and, and Stoner. We had a great staff back then. Um, and I remember doing that really as like, um, I just want to see how this goes and I'll try this first semester and then I'll bounce. And I end up staying for basically seven years. 
<laughs> on that staff in like various capacities from graduate assistant um, to his, to assistant director. And, and you obviously gave me a lot of freedom to kind of explore my passions. And that, that definitely led me to where I am right now. Um, went to PT school while I was there. So that was kind of an interesting deal is working and going to PT school at the same time. Uh, and then I uh, was fortunate enough after I got my physical therapy degree to go on to, to Exos and work as a therapist in Florida, where I worked with like a, a just unbelievable staff and um, a doctorate in physical therapy, correct? Yeah, I got I got a okay. doctorate. So that was a, a fun three years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I went on to went on to Exos and had a really good opportunity to learn, really good clinical skills there, and work with a great staff. And then um, I'm not quite sure how I ended up in Oklahoma City, but um, I did. And this is my fifth season now, and I, I couldn't be happier. I made that jump. There was there were several. I will say along that path, there was several kind of like hold your nose and jump kind of moments where you weren't sure I can definitely see this going wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And it, it tend to work out for me. So I'm, I'm happy where I'm at right now. Well, I, something I remember about you and hopefully my memory is correct, but you would often talk about your parents. You would talk about your dad, who I believe was a lawyer. And you would talk about your mom who was a school teacher and she even won some award some presidential award. Is that correct? Is- yeah, she, she was, uh, I mean, she was in a couple of things. Her, she was a principal at elementary school and, um, she won a national award for kind of having one of the, the best, uh, uh, testing schools in the country. Um, so called the blue ribbon award. She won an award called the pillar of parkway. So, um, she was, uh, she ultimately went on to be the director of human resources in that school district. So she, uh, she devoted her life to one school district and, was it went, went from teacher to um, to principal to, you know, front office positions there. Um, but I think she retired after uh, she started. I want to say 10 years ago now. Wow. But uh, hmm. she's had a you talk to anyone in that school district and they had really good memories and really good things to say about her. So um, they, they just really taught my parents has really taught me the value of of hard work, of showing up every day and and uh, trying to just be the best at what you could be. Whatever you're doing, if, there, if you're going to be a graduate assistant, like just be the best graduate assistant. If you're going to be, you know, a therapist, to be the best therapist. But I, I think both of them took their jobs very seriously, and that rubbed off on me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about your high school strength coach, Coach Kenny. Yeah, so I would have uh, Kevin Kenny, and I was like so lucky. Like I just, my, my parents were trying to find something to do with me as a kid in the summer. I remember this like summer going into seventh grade. I was young, and Coach Kenny was at our high school and he used to run these strength and speed camps. And um, I'm so biased right now, but I'll just say like, I, he just happened to be one of the best high school strength coaches in the country. I still believe that to this day. And I was just so lucky that my mom basically forced me to go because she didn't want me sitting around the house all day. Um, and he actually kicked me out of camp my first day because I was, I was talking while he was talking. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. Um, but he would do things, and you know, this, the, the workouts were were very like stuff you'd think of as cutting edge. Now this is the mid nineties, um, but more importantly, what he provided me with was like um, simple things that we take for granted. Like in, what you learn when, in sports, it's like you know, show up on time and show up every day. Like if you show up a minute late, the door is going to be locked. I'm not letting you in. You can go walk home. Like show up on time, show up every day, and then like the other thing was simply just like just do your best. Like, like personal records were like a, a major deal in that weight room. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it, like 
the, those things seem so simple to show up on time and do your best. But like at the end of the day, I think those are the only things that actually matter. And he, he was like just one of a kind and, and getting me at a, you know, thir- 12, 13 year old, you know, boy. And, and I still keep in touch with him to this day. I'm 36 years old. Um, I just saw him like over the summer once when I went to St. Louis, we still talk a lot, but he just had this profound impact on me, just generating confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. The confidence was founded in very basic things that make you successful in just about anything you want to do is just, is just keep showing up and just keep doing your best. I know you brought those, those ethics and, and core values to Mizzou and it allowed you to grow and, and actually contribute and, and educate. You had a, a, I would say a niche on staff. Can you talk about that niche and why you believe it's important to uh, bring that to the workplace or in your life? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of how that uh, kind of evolved over time with us. So um, the niche you're, you're talking about was I kind of became like the movement specialist. And then I got, um, you know, bringing concepts of movement screening and the FMS onto the table. And then um, just, just through continuing trying to evolve that own little niche and that idea, um, physical therapy skills and chiropractic skills came involved. And, and then we got the physical therapy school. involved. <laughs> so it just never was like, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. Um, and we had kind of in, in that environment where, you know, I thought one thing you did a fantastic job as a, as a leader of the staff is like encouraging people, encouraging that snowball to roll downhill. When you saw someone that had a passion, you, you, you not only encouraged it, but you like pushed it downhill and <laughs> it to grow. Um, so there was nothing off limits from that standpoint. So, I'm trying to figure out how I got onto it. I, I do know, I do know you might not know this, but um, the, the, I knew nothing about the human body really when I got there. Um, and one day I was an intern or a GA. I remember I was not even, we had morning meetings and I didn't even have a seat at the table. I was sitting in your office along the wall and everyone else had the seat because I was so low level at that point. <laughs> but, uh, but you were looking for someone to work with some guys with shoulder injuries. And I just kind of remember just like, I don't really have anything to do on the staff. So I just kind of raised my hand and you're like, all right, you take them. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, shoot, now I got to learn about some shoulders. <laughs> so now know. you tell me. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know anything. So I'm trying to fake it. Um, <laughs> you faked it well. <laughs> so, and so I'm like, I, I just, I didn't have a TV at my house when I was, you know, you're, you're an intern or GA, you don't, you don't make much. So I remember like just abusing our printer at work and just printing off as many articles as I could find on shoulders <laughs> and, and going home to read them um, and trying to act like all the stuff I read. I just, I've just known for years. And, uh, but that, that's kind of how it started is like, I, I just wanted to be relevant on staff. I wanted to contribute somewhere. Um, and I, you know, you, you just latch onto something and put all, like put your all into it. And then it becomes like, it almost becomes your passion. Like it's not, it's not like I was following a passion. It just became mine because um, it was required. And I just wanted, I wanted to go all in. Um, and from there, I mean, we went all over the place. We went, we went to FMS screening. Then we went to, or actually we had our own movement screen. Then we went to FMS screening and then, you know, the physical therapy school got involved. We had a corrective biomechanics department um, that, you know, we decided this is a big enough deal for our athletes that we had specialists come in, physical therapists on, on campus um, to work with our, our strength coaches and our athletes. So um, the snowball kept growing, but it started off as me just trying to fake it so I could be relevant in a staff meeting. But 
here I am now. So it worked out, I guess. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. You even I remember you wrote a book, but I know you said, you know, there are some things you wrote in there that you probably learned were not uh, the best things to do. But you were you even learned so much that you wrote a book on shoulders. Yeah, I mean, I remember like um, trying to just uh, it was it was really a learning tool for me. Um, is reading and reading and then trying to synthesize the information in my own words and apply it to the weight room. And I remember showing it to some stat people on staff and they encouraged me to, um, to write for websites. Um, and then, uh, eventually I had, I had put together enough information that someone said, you know, this is publishable. And I, so, um, I went ahead and published, it was a strength coach's guide for shoulder training. Um, and it was like basically layman's terms. It was me trying to put in my own words, some scientific articles and things that I put together just cause it, that, that's how I best learn. Um, and then I did publish it and actually it paid my rent for, for a couple months, I think <laughs> I needed badly at the time, but I eventually pulled it. And one of the reasons I pulled it, man, is like, I just, um, you know, I felt almost, I have this eternal feeling of being an imposter where I don't know as much as like, I, I, I keep meeting people that know more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I felt like, and not only that, but, I felt like I wasn't the right one to be reading. Like if you're going to go read someone, I'm better off telling you where to go to go find it. And then, um, you know, I felt like I, I had continued to evolve after writing that. So I was, I was, I was doing things now. The way I operated now was not, in, was not you know, reflected in that book anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the nature of, of the, of the profession really, as you continue to evolve and continue to do new things. And, um, but it was, for me, it was a fantastic way to learn and, and get my thoughts out. Um, and not bad that it paid my rent for a couple months. That helps also. So, well, I'm going to encourage the snowball to start again. So <laughs> I think you should republish that book, rewrite it and republish it because we need that information. You have practical experience working with the from high school athletes to college to professional athletes. So we need that information. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll think about it. <laughs> like, I honestly, like, I honestly, like, uh, I've never, um, I've reached a point in my career right now where I'm, I'm not sure. I've never, I've never thought I've known less than I do right now. And part of my job now is I tried to, you know, I just got back from Miami the other day and I was hanging out with one of our, one of our players and his trainers. And I get the opportunity to go around the country and visit these, these people, whether it's we're there for games or I'm there visiting our athletes or whatever. And there's just so many smart people I run into and so many different ways to do things that are just unique to me. That I sometimes I just wonder like, uh, you know, who needs to hear from me? But <laughs> yeah. I'm more I'm more obsessed with like trying to learn from everyone else. But um, I might actually I actually enjoy writing. Um, I enjoy uh, trying to put things in my own words, and I can promise you I've never come up with my own ideas. But um, I, I steal very well from other people. This podcast is sponsored by Sorenex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Sorenex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Sorenex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Sorenex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry.
I remember you told me you had a, a skill that you had developed and I I was on vacation visiting Antoine Floyd and he had a book on speed reading. So I, I figured I would try it because you told me that that's how you read a lot of books is you speed read the books. And I did that and I've I probably I think I was reading faster right after I read that book. Now I'm reading at my normal speed. Uh, how about what are you still doing that yeah i think that i, I just uh i, I saw do this I, if i'm reading a novel that has like so speed reading all it does is like you just learn to you, you learn to like pick out the key words in a sentence and, and go through things it only works but i found it only works well with like um scientific like literature because mm-hmm. but when you're trying to read a novel and the whole point is to be entertained and all you're trying to do is pick out keywords and get the main point. Like you might as well just read the summary on the back page and get, or, or wait for the movie to come out or something. <laughs> so uh, it does work for that. It's actually one of these things where when I was, when I was a kid, um, my neighbor, my high school friend were like, let's just get really good at something. So he, this guy, he decides he wants to get good at breakdancing. And I'm like, I'm going to learn to read faster, which is like the way nerdier than breakdancing. <laughs> so this guy ends up, you know, he gets good at breakdancing and all of that, but he goes to Wisconsin on a full ride for, uh, he tries out for the gopher and gets a full ride because he can breakdance. <laughs> he goes to Wisconsin as like this cheerleader that broke dance at halftime. And he's paid his entire way through college. I'm like, wow, that was way, way more effective than my speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Since, since you, it may be a while since you republished the, the book on, um, shoulders or whatever it may be, you know, why don't we get into some of that? Why don't we dive into um, the shoulder and, and, and what you learned and, and how it works. And as a strength and conditioning coach, what are, what's some information that you can share that can maybe speed up that process of understanding? Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a bear of a question. Um, so what I've learned is, um, I I can never view the shoulder in a silo. Uh, It's got to be viewed as a whole body and you're, you're, you're dealing with the whole person. Um, So that's, that's the first part. The second part is um, I'll, I'll be very general on this, but like I'm, I'm an SFMA person. If you're familiar with that stuff and you'll know their, their principles. Um, But you're, you're, when you're, when you're looking at an injury or, or any body at all, the number one thing you want to grab from them is if this person um, has motion and if they do, do they have control of that motion? And it could be joint by joint or it could be um, just, just globally. But when I'm looking at a shoulder, the first thing I want to feel, if I'm, if I'm just looking at the shoulder, I want to feel, you know, does this, does this shoulder have the prerequisite motion in um, internal external rotation? It might be or whatever it may be. And then if they do have that, um, do they have proper control? Can they show me active range and keep their joints centered through that entire range of motion? If they don't have the motion, we've got to address that. If they do and they don't have control and you have yourself an instability problem, which is, which is very likely in the shoulder, uh, it's a very mobile joint by nature. Um, and so a lot of the issues you see are issues of lack of control. Now, from there, you have to look at like, you know, how are they generating control? So um, the easiest way to gain control over any sort of system is to compress it. And the way I would think about it is, um, you know, if, 
if I stacked a bunch of cubes up, small cubes on the table, and then, you know, I just flicked them and it would all fall and collapse. But if I stacked those same cubes up five, six cubes high, and then I push it down on the top one into the table and compressed it and you flick it, it stays stable. And so the way your body has learned to create control about all these joints, and we're talking about the shoulder right now, is there certain muscles that learn to compress that joint. And your shoulder is the rotator cuff, where if you look at the line of pull, it is pulling the, the head of the humerus in, into the glenoid fossa. And that is a, a neurological system. So you get involuntary contraction, involuntary shortening of the rotator cuff. That is an involuntary neurological contraction to create a sense of control about that joint if you don't have it. Unfortunately, it might be great, but unfortunately, like those involuntary contractions cause pain. Um, they cause decentration of the joint. And before you even get a tear, you'll start feeling, um, you know, pain on the top of the shoulder. And that's where soft tissue work comes in. That soft tissue work can really do a good job of, of kind of normalizing that tissue. Um, but I'd say globally, that would be my philosophy is like, um, you know, around every, every joint in the body, I'm looking to see if they have prerequisite motion. If they don't, can I identify where, where it's not coming from? If they do, do they have control of it? And if they don't have control of it, how is their body attempting to gain control? And if you look at actually all the joints in the body, like uh, the muscles that tend to have the biggest, like we call a like neurological tone or problems are compressive muscles. So as QL around the spine, compress the lumbar spine. So your body's feeling a little bit out of control. Chances are those are going to get hypertonic and start compressing, um, you know, quadriceps around the knee can compress that knee pretty well. If, if you're feeling like you don't have control there. So, um, there's other examples of that, but globally, I think I look at the shoulder the same way I look at everything else. It's just uh, viewing it all through like a, a single system is, is more difficult. Okay, that was good. So those of you that listen to that, you're going to have to rewind and see and <laughs> just re- hit repeat, hit rewind, and then just soak some of that in. Talk to me about the scapula. Yeah, I mean, so, so the same thing. <laughs> um you start dealing with the shoulder, you can't, you can't obviously go away from the scapula, but the, the scapula is like inherently just uh, a very, uh, it's own it's only attachment to the, to the whole skeleton is the AC joint. So it's inherently like kind of an unstable, unstable. It's got unli- like basically limited motion, but it's inherently unstable for that reason. Um, and it's, 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 it's kind of a slave to the rib cage also. So you really can't get good scapular motion if you've got restricted rib cage motion, which is directly related to the thoracic spine. So it's hard, again, it's hard to put these things in like into a silo. Um, but we know that the, the margin for error when your shoulder moves to get good rhythm between your humerus and your scapula, the margin for error there is, is very, very small. Um, so a common thing that we work on with, with our players is, um, is that scapular rhythm can they dissociate their scapula and their, and their humerus? And if they do like, you know, what, what motions are we restricted in? Is it upper rotation? It's got to have kind of a three dimensional range of motion, but um, that one's hard to talk about because um, it's so dependent on it's, it's like basically neutral position, which is dependent on ribs, dependent on thoracic spine and things like that. Um, but I would say it's probably one of the, one of the most like undertrained and underappreciated areas in the shoulder. I think people do a lot of rotator cuff training and um, things like that. And, and they, they don't realize the interplay between the, the two things. Um, mm-hmm. So 
that one's a little bit harder to talk about, uh, but I will say the rules stay the same. The rules are, does it have the prerequisite motion? And that is an all plan- elevation, depression, retraction, protraction, upward, down rotation. And I will literally get them on their side on the table and make sure that is moving. And then as I ask them to move their arm, is it showing all those motions appropriately, um, actively? And if it's not, then you have yourself a scapular instability um, and you have to address it accordingly. But I, I think the rules are always the same. It's just harder to talk about one without mm-hmm. talking about the whole the whole picture. Okay. Um, talk to me about thoracic mobility. What is it? Uh, well, thoracic mobility is the ability to move your uh, to move your spine, and T one through T twelve is considered the, the thoracic spine. But um, we we find that this is like an uh, inherently again inherently stable area because of the rib attachments. Um, but, um, a majority of your rotation, almost 45, 50 degrees of your, of your global spinal rotation comes from, uh, from your thoracic spine. So, um, it's an area where you're meant to move from that often we don't, why we don't, um, I haven't quite figured that out. I'm actually going down a rabbit hole recently of, of trying to retrain breathing and why some people have these massive like kyphotic spines. they, they preferentially breathing into their, their posterior, like mediastinum and the backside. Like when they inhale, does the air go to the back of their chest versus some that have a flat back and big chest in the front, their air goes to the front. Like why are they preferentially like pushing air in these areas? Um, so addressing thoracic mobility, I don't think anyone has the answer to that right now, other than um, just daily mobilization. But I think we're, they're getting on, the, the best success I think we see in addressing something like thoracic mobility is um, getting into breathing patterns, getting into, um, you know, utilizing your, your diaphragm correctly and expanding your abdomen correctly so that it kind of frees up your, your rib cage to move better. But um, no doubt all these things, whether it's thoracic mobility, mobility of the rib cage, um, the scapular stability and how that moves and the stability of the shoulder um, no doubt all that is directly related and interplayed um, when you look at someone. You can't address one without addressing all of them. Got it. All right. So we have high school coaches and, and strength and conditioning coaches um, and maybe some young uh, people that are new in the profession. Why is it important to do more? Well, I don't want to lead you too much. Tell me about back exercises. So pulls versus presses back versus front um, why you need what is there a balance you need for good shoulder um, I guess stability mobility good shoulder mobility yeah so uh, I mean I think typically they would recommend you know a two to one pull to press so any sort of you know row or pull up account for that two to one pull to press ratio um, and, and Typically, you're, you're, you're dealing with like um, the reason why that is, is not because you want your back to be as strong as your chest and all these things. The reason why that is, is because uh, when it comes to shoulder health, the the default position is going to be like an anterior or forward glide of, of your humor head. And that will tend to cause the most problems down the line. So what I mean by that is like the, the, the top of your shoulder, your humeral head will, will slide forward. And that is a typical um, posture that people go into almost like if you think of a fetal position or your shoulders slump forward. It's a typical stress position. 
Um, and it's, it's, it could be more bench or whatever, but people that don't bench at all show the same, the same pattern. It's just a, it's a human response. You, you pull everything into the fetal position and you guard your abdomen when you're, when you feel stressed. Um, so to combat that, the typical, the typical thing would be to do the opposite. Just make sure you do more things that are going to open your chest up as in back exercises, pulls, then pull it down. Um, and also, you know, when the shoulder gets in that position, the, the chances of the rotator cuff getting clipped and frayed um, is, is quite a bit higher than if it was sitting in a, like a centrated shoulder joint. Um, so the, the reason why we think that that recommendation is usually in place is, is not because uh, there's some bench haters out there that don't want people to bench. It's, it's strictly – actually, if you bench correctly, you actually help the case. Um, if, you, if you get your setup right and your, your, your chest is really open, um, you actually help your shoulder position. By doing that, um, Got it. so um, the reason why that is is just they're trying to combat like the natural human tendency to to, to protect self and fall forward, and so you open up the back. Um, and there's actually some weird research. I think I saw a TED talk. I haven't really checked this. I just I just listened to every. I believe everything I hear on the internet. I guess like <laughs> they were talking about standing in like a power pose where you really open your chest up and you're getting your arms wide. Will actually change like your hormonal status and can almost change brain chemistry to be a more positive state. So that's yep. it's all you can't you can't isolate anything these days, but it's all right. related. Um, that's the root of it all, though. Got it. all right. I know we're getting close to the end of the show. I want to hear about what you do with the Oklahoma City Thunder. What are your responsibilities? How you make it all work together? And uh, because you know. You're working with multi-million dollar athletes in a billion dollar industry. Yes. Um, so that's, that's, that's uh, I'm trying to see if I can get everything out there on this. Uh, my, so my job is the senior athletic performance coach. What that means is I oversee all the strength and conditioning and nutrition programming for our players. Um, I also do a lot of, of true physical therapy work, um, manual skills, whatever it may be, whatever's needed. Um, so the cool thing about my job is I really have no boundaries. There's not, you know, when someone walks into the weight room, I can have a full gamut of um, anything from a med- like a purely medical intervention to purely strength conditioning intervention that I can do with them if I feel necessary. So um, that's really, a, that's really, you know, that's really liberating in that sense. That's unique. That's yeah. unique from my experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that yeah. you look at these, med- these medical interventions as if they're only there and pain is in, is in place, but a lot of times these medical interventions, you know, we just talked about thoracic mobility. One of the best, easiest, fastest ways I know is to do, a, you know, what you'd think of a chiropractor would do, it would be a manipulation of the thoracic spine to open up motion. Like that, that limits what I need to do. If the guy walks in, I, we, we notice that's a restriction. Restriction. I can, I, I have the ability to, to do a thrust technique or whatever I may need on that. If I feel like they got tight calves that day, you know, I have no issues throwing needles in them and, and opening up some motion there. Um, so, that that is very liberating. That can be very daunting or very liberating, depending on how you look at it. It's very liberating uh, for me anyway. That that I kind of I have a f- full range of things I can do. Um, so that's my job responsibilities. What is what you would think of? What you would come and see me do? I, I think people don't realize in the NBA um, that the job is more than you think it is. I think the way the way we like to talk about it is um, this is a bad way to put it, but our owner has invested. X amount of dollars in, you know, so-and-so 
um, let's say pays that person $20 million this year. Um, we truly look as the medical and performance staff, we look at ourselves as basically mutual fund managers, uh, where if you had $20 million to invest in something and you let someone oversee it, you would expect them to be on top of every last little thing to make sure it's that money is moving the right way day to day. Um, that's how we, that's how we view ourselves is as mutual fund managers in that respect. Um, and uh, it's it just the, the job is, is not complicated um, in the weight room. It, it's sometimes very, very basic, almost like almost like uh, boringly basic. Um, but the seriousness of it is very, very high. And I, I take that as like a real responsibility. Um, so that making sure those like the, the attention to detail that's involved in in these types of situations is one, something I learned at Missouri, but two, like it's so important that your detail, that your level of detail is, is so critical. And when I say detail, like, like how we approach players every day has to be like the same, like the the level of consistency they need in their lives inside our building is so, um, it's so important that like everything outside these guys' lives is crazy. Social media is nuts. As soon as they get off the court, they're going to play in front of 20,000 people and they're going to walk in the building the next day. And, a lot of my job is to make sure their environment is structured in a way that allows them to walk into work and know what's about to happen that day. As in my, my, my personality does not change. If we win or lose, it's going to be the same all the way to the, you know, we have these uh, refrigerators, the water bottles in them. And I want to make sure when they're stocked and they're stocked, the, the labels are always facing forward. Cause I, I want these guys to know when they walk in, this is the one place you can walk into and it's going to look the same no matter what. <laughs> like, um, so, that the job is one thing, but then managing the environment uh, around the players and making sure that they're in the, the, like the absolute best place to succeed and, and to deal with the stresses they are going to have to deal with. They, they deal with the medical performance staff more than the coaching staff. Right. We're, we're the first people they see when they walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not they're benching or pulling or squatting or whatever it is that day, um, it's going to have an impact on how the rest of their day goes and how they prepare for the game the next night. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to being a mutual fund manager, all those things, all those things matter, um, to the utmost. I mean, I, I, I can't overstress like the level of detail <laughs> that goes into it. And well, AP, I, I, hopefully I don't, I'm not leading you down a path on a question that you can't answer, but you told me about that, that attention to detail and what you do when you go to the player's residence. I don't know if you can talk about that. Oh, yeah, far, yeah. Um, yeah. Like on like off season trips. Well, no, they're they're inside of their houses with their bed sleeping. The oh, yeah. lighting, the temperature. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's, that's usually kind of an intake process we have where um, there's a lot of education that goes on. Um, there's some players that are more that are more resistant, more more accepting to, to whatever. But you know, we make sure that when, when they're in their houses, that they have their homes set up in a way that's, that's like, we can cold tub these guys all we want and we can do Epsom salt. We can do all the, all this stuff. But if they have these massive, you know, windows in their bedroom and, and no, you know, no drapes that cover everything, no blackout curtains, um, they're probably not going to sleep very well. Um, if, you know, their mattress is, is, is crappy, they're probably not going to sleep very well on that. Um, so we, that's part of our evaluation process is, is, uh, you know, trying to provide consultation for those areas. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and making, again, making sure like the level of detail is needed um, in those circumstances is, is like pretty exceptional. And for us, you know, our guy, we want our guys to spend more time at home and getting good sleep at home than they do mm-hmm. in the building. So their, their life at home and how they, things are structured are, are extremely important. Now we have some guys that, um, of course, it's like real world. Like some guys just, they're, they're, um, they're not going to accept what you, what you have to offer them. And some guys are completely compliant and want, always want more information. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a wide variety of personalities from that standpoint, but that's definitely something that's, that's on the table for us is making sure that, that like all those details are taken care of. Well, that, I appreciate, I appreciate your time. I think we're going to have to have you back on maybe after the season and go into a few more of those details. Yeah, it's well, been a I, might, I might have some, completely something completely different to talk about next season. Things <laughs> change. That'll be great. It's been great catching up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm proud of you, and keep keep doing what you're doing, and um, looking forward to that book. <laughs> I'll think about it. You're on me on that one. All right, take care. You have a good night. All right, coach. I'll see you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.